Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to John McConnell, CEO of Victoria Gold, TSX listed gold producer. They have uh, recently hit the billion dollar market cap number. Pretty impressive stuff. Ten years ago, uh, they started off. We talked to John about what happened during those years, what he was trying to build, trials and tribulations, uh, the business plan going forward, what the impact of COVID has been, what he's going to be able to deliver by the end of this year, guidance of 80 to 100,000 ounces, and when he's going to be able to hit the run rate of 210,000 ounces a year. Sounds like the end of next year to us. Enjoy the podcast. John, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, very well. Hey, well, thanks for joining us. First time we've spoken, first time we've uh, had your company on the show, so I really appreciate you taking your time out to tell the story to us. Um, so, so where are you hold up at the moment? Yeah, I'm in Vancouver, uh, my home office here. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, working from home uh, for the last three months and uh, actually quite enjoying it. Oh, yeah. Are you getting more done? Is it more effective? Well, you know, you get up at uh, six in the morning and, uh, you know, you're on the computer and, uh, you know, my kids are getting up at uh, eight so I can have breakfast with them and uh, they're off to now to summer camp. But uh, then you got the whole day. You know, I've actually, uh, you know, got out for walks and bike rides and that sort of thing. So uh, oh my it's been great. Seeing the kids more, getting healthier, getting more work done. That, that, that sounds yeah. good to me, right? I don't have any hobbies, except I love to uh, cook. And uh, so, you know, my you family's like been enjoying some pretty elaborate meals. Talk to me about this cooking. We'll talk about the business in a second. But so what are you good at? What's your thing? Everything. You know, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've been... My mother uh, told me and my brother and I, when we were kids, there's three things you had to learn to do. One was uh, cooking. Another was how to uh, do laundry and iron a shirt. And the third one was how to darn a sock. Well, darning a sock has not helped me at all. But uh, the other <laughs> two have uh, been very good skills to learn. She sounds like a smart woman, John. <laughs> So, yeah, I enjoy cooking and, uh, you know, this time of year we're outside. So uh, I have a pretty fancy uh, outdoor kitchen and uh, we're enjoying lots of good food. That sounds quite appealing to me. And you're by, you're by the sea, lots of fresh food, lots of uh, fresh fish. I'm loving it. We should, we should talk about mining, I suspect. That's what people yeah. want to watch this show for so <laughs> so why don't we kick off i could give a cooking demonstration too but, do you, and, uh, and do you know what i'd take you up on it as well that that's yeah. that's where this conversation would go um but we better kick off and learn a little bit about victoria gold so why don't you give me that one minute overview of the business and then we'll uh, pick it up from there yeah so we're a public company listed on the uh, tsx uh you know, going back to 2009, we acquired uh, the Eagle project in the Yukon and uh, have been focused on that since then. Um, over uh, a 10 year period, we, uh, you know, did the exploration, the infill drilling, the various, uh, you know, environmental studies, worked our way through the Yukon permitting process. 
and uh, then went into construction. And here we are, uh, you know, plus 11 years later, uh, reaping the benefits of an operating gold mine when gold prices are peaking. Yeah, sounds like you've, you've done everything you should. 10 year to production seems to be the rule. Um, you've also seen a recent pop in the in the share price, which I want to talk to you about because normally big companies don't attract me because you don't get that leverage, but you've almost doubled your share price in the last couple of months, right? But we're gonna we're gonna get on to that. But first tell me tell me about what you guys wanted to try and achieve day one. I mean, you had a different set of skills back, you know, eleven years ago. So tell me about your background, first of all. Maybe start with that. Sure. Uh, well, I'm a mining engineer, graduate of the Colorado School of Mines. Uh, um, but I spent my whole life in mining. My dad was a mine electrician. I grew up in a mining town. And, uh, you know, probably started working uh, at the mine when I was 14 years old. So, uh, you know, eventually... Uh, you know, got an education and uh, my first job as a mining engineer was at a mine in the north tip of Baffin Island called Manasivic. It was a uh, lead zinc operation. And I spent uh, four years there and then I went to work for the consulting firm that managed the mine, Strathcona Mineral Services, uh, run by Graham Farkasen. So, had a great mentor for the next six years and uh, you know, worked on many projects across Canada. And so that was a great background. Uh, eventually uh, I moved back out to BC, joined a diamond explorer called Windspear Diamonds, went on, which was acquired by De Beers. Uh, I stayed on with De Beers and had the opportunity to take the Snap Lake diamond mine through permitting, engineering, construction, and into operations. Then I did my first foray running a junior mining company. It was a little company called Western Celtic. We had a uh, zinc copper property in northern BC. We took it through feasibility study, and then we were acquired by Sherwood Copper, now Capstone. And... Uh, you know, then uh, an opportunity came along with Victoria to join the board. And I joined the board of Victoria, I think, in 2007 and uh, became the CEO in 2010 after we had acquired the Eagle Project in the Ukraine. Okay, so that shows the evolution of, of you. So let's talk about the evolution of the company. So you, in 2010, when you took over, you, you just picked up the Eagle asset. You know, what did you have at that point? What did you know about what you had? And did you think everything you could get it into production? Yeah, and, you know, I was uh, very much involved in the due diligence of the Eagle property. And, uh, you know, I felt there was a mine there. And uh, so we acquired it and, uh, you know, uh, I think we had a, a desktop study had been done on it and there was uh, a resource, but no reserve. And so the first step was really, uh, you know, completing the exploration. And once we got through that, we were pretty excited that, uh, you know, we had something there. So then. As I said earlier, we follow the various steps to bring it to uh, fruition. Okay, 
But, but I, I want to continue that conversation because you're a billion dollar company today. Yeah, at that, that time, when we started, we were a $50 million right, company. Right, okay. And been times uh, over the course of the past 10 years where we've probably been a $20 million company. So. There you go. There, there's the journey. I want to talk about it because, the, you know, this is the, the hard yards, right? People look at you as a billion dollar company and go, okay, th that was probably quite easy and look at him, lucky, lucky guy, right? <laughs> I want to talk about the hard yards. So let's talk about that journey. So what, what are the things, because the reason why I ask this is because this audience want to know how do they identify companies that they should back management teams that they should back what are what is the progress need to look like not in theory that let's talk about what actually happens along that journey and as you say there's ups and there's downs so can you talk us through some of the the, the tougher decisions you had to make during that time for instance to move things along well sure you know uh you know in 2011 2012 everything was good we were moving along the development and then i think 2013, the price of gold dropped considerably, and uh, we went into survival mode. You know, we had to lay off some very good people, which is, you know, always difficult, but we went down to a real skeleton team of people and, you know, basically focused on the permitting, but weren't spending any money in the field. And then things started to pick up again in 2015, and uh, we got back out in the field, and we're doing more drilling and expanding the uh, both the resource and the reserve, and uh, you know initiated the feasibility study. So you know, and then come uh, 2017, we started to look at options to finance the project. Uh, eventually got there late in 2017, early 2018, and then pulled the trigger on construction in uh, March of 2018. But during the, you're kind of very casually talking about the time frame there, but when you're kind of running on vapor, the market's not interested, and they're not listening to you, and you're trying to raise capital, that's a tough environment. So, I mean, how, what, what do you do to survive? Yeah, I mean, we... You know, one of the things we did, and this goes back to 2011, you know, we had acquired Eagle in the Yukon and we decided that was going to be our focus. And we also had a number of assets in Nevada, in, you know, that had come with acquisitions of uh, Gateway Gold and uh, Strata Gold. And so once we made the decision to focus in 2010, we decided to sell off everything else. And we actually realized uh, close to 65 million in cash in 2011 for those assets. And you'll recall 2011 was a pretty good year. So, uh, you know, we sold assets to Barrett, we sold assets to Premier Gold. And, but, you know, all of them were conditional on receiving cash. We didn't want stock in another junior. Um, so then we took that 65, you know, million that we raised through sale of assets and plowed that into the development of, uh, uh, Eagle. And, you know, I think you said, uh, you know, 10 years is kind of the norm now for, uh, you know, moving a project to a construction decision. What people don't really know is that the cost is close to 150 million dollars so you know 
that's that's the hard part. And if we hadn't had those assets in Nevada that we could sell and realize real cash for, we wouldn't have been able to do it. No, for, for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a big chunk of change to be able to get the ball rolling, to get enough data, to get enough information into the market to be able to have proper conversations. So what were you able to do with your $65 million and what did that enable you to do? So uh, that allowed us to do the infill drilling and it uh, you know, was, was uh, needed. And so move from a resource to a reserve, then do the feasibility study. Um, so that was the big difference there. Right, okay. I'm, again, I'm, I'm just- I think that's where a lot of you know, junior miners get to a resource and then they rely on being taken out by a major to do that next stage. And we were able to do it ourselves. Did you ever consider doing that, taking that option? Um, yeah, you know, uh, we entertained uh, groups and talked to them, but we really felt the way to create shareholder value was if we could take it through the production. Yeah, and I mean, I, again, this really this fascinates me, this kind of conversation, because not many people, you know, take it the whole way through, first of all, okay? And those that kind of get to a resource, they're kind of at the end of their skill set sometimes, and we just go, well, we're kind of run well, out of absolutely. ideas here. And, and capital, quite frankly. And then it's a case of the waiting game and saying, hopefully someone will come along. And it's, you know, that's a, that's a difficult period. But for you, because you had the 65 million from realizing assets in a peak. Um, actually, was that, again, when you decided to sell, did you go, well, the goal hasn't been like this for so long. It ain't going to get better than this. We, we know, we think we know what we've got. We'll, t- we'll take the cash, as you said, rather than shares. Was that ever across your mind? It's like, well, maybe we're just giving up too too much value here for these things. Certainly, that debate, you know, uh, at the board level and at the uh, management level. Um, but you know, at that time, we had like uh, probably eight different projects, and you know, what I'm a mining engineer. I want to build something. I'm not, you know, an explorer, so. It was, uh, you know, let's let's get focused here, guys. And uh, you know, there's this is an opportune time to sell off these Nevada assets. I mean, you know, our exploration team hated me. They didn't want to let any of these go. But uh, you know, you gotta you gotta focus, and uh, you know. But that, that's exactly. But that's what I'm talking about. Those, these are the difficult decisions that you know. And, and you know, hindsight, you can look back and go, "I got that right. I got it wrong." So, here's a question for you: Did any of the assets that you sell off ever become anything? Um, you know, they're slowly, uh, you know, still being explored. And I, you know, I'll use, uh, you know, Cove McCoy as the example. Uh, we sold that to Premier Gold. So that's uh, what ten years ago now. I'm not sure they're any further along than uh, we were in terms of getting permits and uh, developing the asset. Um, you know, we sold the property to uh, Barrick, and uh, you know, I think it, we sold it for twenty million dollars in cash. But they really wanted it for infrastructure. You know, it was adjacent to one of the mines they were developing it. So 
you know, uh, was it a good deal for them? Uh, you know, you'd have to ask them, but I think it was a very good deal for them because it gave them the ability to, uh, you know, I think they started their decline for one of their mines from that property. Okay. So at least you haven't, you, you haven't had to look back and, and regret uh, any of the decisions you've made. So that's, that's, that's good news. So, well, and some of the assets, uh, you know, we've kept a royalty on, you know, so if something is found there, we'll benefit from having the royalty. I think, you know, Banyan Gold's a good example of that. Uh, you know, their flagship asset is Ormac. Uh, that was a property we vended to them, but we kept uh, a royalty on it. Okay. Okay. So you've got you've got a few levers there. Okay. So the exploration development phase it is what it is, and we say you know there's lots of companies stall at this point. You have the advantage of this cash uh, reserve to kind of give you an accelerated um, approach to how, how you dealt with your assets. And um, now comes the I think really interesting and difficult phase. For building a company, so I'm not. I'm, I'm. You know, this isn't an exercise of me kind of grilling you. I'm. Just, I'm this is more a learning exercise. I think for investors to learn about you know, the process, it's a thought process, and you know, possibly for some CEOs to go, well, this is possibly how I do it. Um, but with with this phase comes the need for finance and the ability to be able to raise capital cheaply and uh, and and be able to deploy it uh, effectively. Okay, so you become it's a whole different set of problems. You know what you've got under the ground. What you're now doing is saying, how do I get it out of the ground economically, and what do I need to put in place? Right. So, you've had you had you built a mine before? Yeah, I built the Snap Lake Diamond Mine, and you know, come I, when I joined Nana Civic at the you know the mine on the north tip of Baffin Island, I came in just as they were starting up. So saw the issues around construction and you know arctic environment so and then snap lake i took it right through so right okay so you had learned on someone else's dime there's some of the things that could go wrong and that's that's what you're applying here which, which is great for your current shareholders but talk to me about the financing side of things because it, it it's complicated the numbers get big the costs get big and there's a period of time where there's no revenue coming in, so you, you've got to negotiate the best possible deal. So, what I, I, I understand some of the, the, the debt position at the moment, but talk to me when you first started off. I mean, how, how many versions of this current debt have we got? Yeah, so you know, I I can't take credit for the financing. Uh, you know, I was very uh, uh, involved in it, and but I was actually learning that aspect because. You know, although I built, uh, you know, the Snap Lake Diamond Mine, that was De Beers. There was no financing required, you know. So uh, um, this was a very different situation. Um, and I relied a lot on two gentlemen. One, our chairman, Sean Harvey, who has, uh, you know, much experience in capital markets. And, you know, has financed companies, financed projects, uh, many of them over his 30-year career. And then our CFO, uh, Marty Rendell, um, you know, I would uh, attend meetings where there'd be 20 bankers in the room quizzing us and talking about things. And, you know, I generally left, you know, I didn't say anything. 
because I can't contribute too much to that conversation. And they're, you know, talking about financial terms and that sort of thing. But I do, you know, I'm a pretty good judgment of people. And I watch body language and I listen to arguments. And what gave me comfort was that after those meetings, I, I knew the smartest guy in the room was my CFO. So, uh, you know, we uh, moved forward. We had three, you know, for me, it's always you've got to have options. You can't just go down one path. So we were talking to the traditional banks, well, in this case, uh, BNP, uh, about debt. You know, we were, you know, talking to the equity uh, bankers about raising equity. And we were talking to, uh, I think, three different streaming or royalty companies and to three different private equity firms. And so, you know, it, it took a pile of time and, uh, you know, uh, but we, we had options all along the way, you know, and uh, then it, you know, came to, uh, you know, early 2018 and it was time to pull the trigger. And uh, you know, for us, the best option was, uh, you know, Orion, Osisco and Caterpillar. Yeah, exactly. You kind of got that senior secure, the subordinate, and also the facility from Caterpillar there. So, th th I mean, that's, that's a big chunk of change, right? Uh, you got to start producing. I mean, no better time to produce than in a high gold environment over 1900 bucks. Well, and, you know, the other key for us, you know, why we wanted to do it in 2018 was there was not a lot of mine construction going on. So we knew we, if we pulled the trigger, we'd get the A-teams. You know, in the gold space right now, you know, there's a number of development stories and, uh, you know, people are going to struggle to get the A-teams. We had the A-team, no doubt about it, both in the engineering side, the construction management side, and the contractors. Yeah, sometimes it really is down to timing. Well, that's why we were able to uh, bring it in on, on budget and ahead of schedule. So, but what does that look like? But 2018, gold price was what it was. Um, you know, it, 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 relative, it's all relative, but relatively expensive compared to possibly what you could get in today's environment. So are you looking to refinance that, that uh, those, those senior secured and subordinated positions? Yeah, you know, our blended uh, rate is LIBOR plus 6%. You know, we have three facilities and they're all a little different, but, uh, you know, blended, it's LIBOR. So what's LIBOR these days? 1%. So <laughs> it's not actually that bad. Um, but... We have started the process of refinancing and we would like to, uh, you know, refinance the entire package. Um, you know, one of the <laughs> nice issues, a, a Hollywood problem, is that at current gold prices, we pay back the debt so quickly that uh, at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, is it worth refinancing? You know, because, you know, I, I estimate it'll cost us a million dollars to refinance. And that's not in penalty fees or anything. It's in, uh, you know, more banker fees, lawyers, uh, independent engineers. 
but it, it would probably cost us in the order of a million dollars to refinance. And, you know, or do we just focus on paying down the debt as quickly as possible? Cost of current setup versus that. So, you know, we're it's pretty close. Looking at it, you know, on a weekly basis. To, you know, my CFO, again, he, he probably updates his spreadsheet uh, every week and uh, says, you know, but right now we've got proposals from, you know, we went out to 30 different banks and I think we've got proposals from 15 and we're evaluating those and, uh, you know, but it's going to, it's been slowed down by COVID because of course, you know, any banks want site visits and that's been impossible during COVID. So, uh, um, you know, we're hoping that probably third or fourth quarter we'll make a decision, uh, you know, either refinance or not refinance and just focus on paying down the debt. So why raise 23 million bucks COVID fund? Yeah, you know, we were approached by the banks. So we were having a good run in terms of share price and, uh, you know, one of the issues was, and you Remember, this was uh, right at the peak of COVID. Uh, you know, governments were reacting to the situation. Um, we recognized COVID was going to be a problem quite early. You know, I didn't go to PDAC, for example. I felt it was more important to get up to the mine site to sit down with, uh, you know, our people and plan for COVID. And, uh, you know, meet with government officials so that as you can imagine, here we are with 225 million U.S. in debt, a mine that's just starting up, and we get shut down because some politician makes a decision. You know, we would have lost the mine. We would have lost everything. So, you know, we worked very closely with them, put in place the procedures that uh, would allow us to keep operating. Um, and then along came uh, BMO and PI, and they said, uh, you know, we'll give you a bot deal of $23 million. And we hummed and hawed, but, uh, you know, we still did not know what the extent of COVID was. And uh, we just felt that if, with that extra $23 million, if governments did make the decision to shut the mines down, that would give us at least six months leeway. You know, we cut back and that would give us six months time. Um, so we felt it was just prudent to take the money. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, hopefully we never spend that money except to use to pay down debt. Well, as it turns out, the share chart says you were right to do that. Because literally that day the announcement came out, share shot up. Why do you think that was? What did people read into it? You know, I think it, it took the risk. I think people felt there was that risk for us and you know we removed it by adding that uh, 23 million to our treasury i think it's as simple as that i think so well i mean it's certainly helped by gold price let's not kid ourselves you know? okay uh, maybe maybe i think i think a lot of people have seen the, the share price rise perhaps undeservedly um just based on on, on um price of gold not necessarily because of what they've done but um look Let's, let's talk about what you've got and what you've got to be able to do for the rest of this year because, you know, you have achieved production, right? But 
what I think that what we would like to understand is, you know, how quickly does that ramp up? When do you, because you, you talk about, you know, getting getting into um, full production, but you don't give a timeline on this. So can you sort of paint a picture of how quickly you think you can move things forward, obviously given COVID restrictions, et cetera? Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a couple things uh, there. I mean, sure, COVID has been very costly and, you know, don't underestimate the impacts of COVID. And, you know, I talked to many of my colleagues at operations around the world. Uh, I have a very good friend, uh, Grant Clow, who runs, uh, you know, RPA Consulting, and they do work for many companies. And, you know, they're seeing production problems everywhere, and higher costs. So COVID is very hard on people, particularly when you're in a fly-in, fly-out situation and you know, the guys are away for four weeks at a time and their wives are on the phone crying because they're scared and, you know, it's tough. So, uh, you know, I don't think anybody should underestimate the impacts of COVID on any mining operation. Um, The other second thing that impacts us is we're a heat leach operation. And, you know, you do all the test work you can ahead of time and you make estimates about you know, the recovery and more importantly, the cycle time for recovery. We've always known we have a long cycle time. So, you know, to achieve recovery takes, uh, you know, probably total cycles 150 days. And then there's factors involved like rock type, uh, you know, crush size, rainfall. You know, uh, we've had an extremely wet, couple weeks on the site and that dilutes the cyanide so you know you're always catching up a little bit in the end we like rain because you've got to saturate the ore but you know it takes a little time to catch up with the cyanide uh, concentration um, so you know we've guided the market that will produce between 85 and 100,000 ounces in H2 uh, we're just about through July and we're, you know, feeling quite confident that uh, we'll achieve that target. You know, full production for us is over 200,000 per year. So, you know, I, we haven't provided any guidance for 2021 yet, but, you know, I think we'll be at the full run rate of 210,000 ounces per year in 2021. But, but, towards, but towards the end... You'll start that yeah. that rate at, towards the end of that uh, and, year. And also importantly, you know, is that's when we achieve the all-in sustaining cost that we've projected. Well, that's where I want to get to. I want to I want to get to the process between obviously what you think you're going to be able to do to this year. You know, eighty to hundred answers is great, and you get you, you showing the market a, a route to market as it were. The process is there. The recovery rates are there, the metallurgy, etc. That, that's all good stuff. But I guess what they're looking to try and get a sense of, and I'm sensing that you don't know it yet, is how do you get to that point where you understand what the ASIC actually is? How do you get to the point when you know you're at full run rate? Is it second half next year? Yeah, by the end of the year. Right, towards uh, the end of the year. We've also guided, you know, provided guidance that... Uh, you know, our all-in sustaining will be somewhere between 950 and, uh, you know, 1100 for the balance of this year. And, you know, it's probably somewhere closer to 1100 in, uh, 
July, August, and uh, you know November, December, it's closer to the lower number. Right. Right. Okay. And then it's then it's just this is a case of I mean this is obviously a, a big bulk operation here. Um, you know what you what you've got ahead of you. You're also doing some drilling. You're trying to work out what else you've got, right? Well, we had some very uh, encouraging results last year. You know, one of our high priority targets was always an area called Nugget. It's another large granodiorite intrusive out to the east. Um, has very similar characteristics to the Eagle granodiorite intrusive. So we built a road out there in 2019. We did a bunch of trenching. We our geologists love to trench so that they can actually see something and you know get to understand the geology before we drill. And they also do a lot of geochem sampling. Um, so we built a road out. We did some uh, trenching. You know the first trench result was spectacular. I think it was like 150 meters of, you know, three and a half grams or something like that. So that got us excited. We got a drill in and we drilled uh, nine holes before the uh, weather got too cold. And again, had many multi-gram intercepts right from surface. When you consider Eagle is, uh, you know, 0.63 grams life of mine, that got our attention. So we had planned to be back out there April of this year, but because of COVID restrictions, we delayed the pro start of the program until July. And uh, we're now operating there with three drills running and a couple excavators doing more trenching. And, uh, you know, we'll start to see some results from there uh, probably early September. Okay. I mean, that, that sounds like it could be quite exciting for you because that, that changes the grade potential of what you've got. Well, the grade potential and, you know, all, also, even if you go back to 2009 when we were, or 2008 when we were doing our due diligence on Eagle, you know, we felt this was uh, a district that there was potential for multiple deposits. You know, we focused on Eagle, but it was always the plan that, you know, let's get out, you know, and, you know, we've got, I think, uh, 12 different high priority targets based on airborne geophysics and ground geochem work. Um, so Eagle is one of them, uh, or I mean, Nugget is one of them. So, you know, this year we'll, focus on Nugget, and then we'll slowly work our way through all of them. But we really do feel this is a district and there's multiple mines on the property we have. Okay. You know, it, our property size is uh, you know, 550 square kilometers. So a huge land position in Yukon. So, all right. You if you get, by the end of next year, up to your run rate, if gold stays where it is, you are paying down that debt pretty damn sharp right that's that's happening yep. okay and then you'll be producing cash and then you then you become another mid-tier-ish getting there uh producer throwing off cash in a gut positive gold environment if you've got a district-wide um potential to to, to this land package you told me at the beginning 
you knew at the start you were going to get this into production. You had a plan. That's a 10-year plan. Your next 10-year plan. Have you got the energy to deliver a district-wide project uh, under Victoria Gold badge, or does this thing get flipped onto someone else? Well, our plan is that we build another mid-tier mining company. Um, you know, I own a lot of shares of the company. I own almost 1% of the shares. So, uh, um, you know, I don't really get to make that decision. Uh, if somebody comes along, you know, our largest shareholder is Orion. They're about 42%. If somebody offers Orion $30 a share for Victoria, I think uh, they take it and uh, I'd be looking for a new job. Even if this thing's throwing off cash and you, you, you don't think well, you can persuade Orion of the potential of what you see in front of you. Exactly. Um, but, you know, they're businessmen, um, you know, they're private equities. They have to show their limited partners uh, a plan as well. And this is how we pay you back. Fantastic. John, that sounds like a very exciting year ahead of you. You've got a lot to deliver by the end of next year. You hit those numbers that um, people are talking about, that ASIC of below 800 um, and start you know, paying down that debt as well. Um, we'll follow you closely. Um, do pick up the phone if you've got good stuff to say. We'd be delighted to uh, get an update from you. Thank you very much for today. Okay, thank you. That was very enjoyable. Great to talk to mining people. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.